You're listening to a sermon from Free City Church in Lawrence, Kansas. We exist to extend the glory of God by making disciples through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Today's reading comes from Ephesians 2, 17 through 22. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Holy Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Free city. As this text leads, I pray this finds you experiencing the gospel of peace in your inner being. This is the message that Jesus came to share. Peace. Look at verse 17. It says, and he came and he preached peace. For, for centuries, the summation of the Christian message has been described as the gospel of peace. That means that the good news of a new and available peace is made available to you through Jesus. Jesus came. Jesus entered in to tell us good news about a peace. There is an otherworldly peace available for a scattered and war-torn humanity. There is peace. And, And we act like we don't need it. Like we have everything under control, but how convinced of that are you right now? Or maybe I should say it this way. I don't know how much longer we can keep up the pretense that everything is fine and that we have everything under control. Do do I need to convince you? Surely not. But I mean, I'll try. Like I have talked to people struggling with the uncertainty of joblessness and the uncertainty of health. But the most prevailing thing that I am hearing and seeing is an unsettling of self, an inner feeling of unrest and separation. I mean, when you have binged all that Tiger King has to offer and all that Ozark has to give, what are you left with? And on a side note, it is very important. As a native Oklahoman who married a native Missourian from the Ozarks, tiger crazy and munder laundering for cartels is not the normal where we grew up. And I know exactly where the greater Winniewood Exotical Animal Park is. One of my friends actually grew up less than 15 minutes away from it, and he also does not own a tiger, but I've already done the math. Your stimulus check plus my stimulus check equals tiger. I mean, it's good for the economy, right? We don't want the tiger business to go under, do we? But what does Ephesians 2 say? Like, I want to ask a question that Ephesians 2 presses. When the distractions are stilled and the clamor is silenced, what words in Ephesians 2 do you relate to? What words best describe your inner life? There are two very distinct categories in Ephesians 2, and they are meant for you to do introspection because of them. This text says that there is God's redemptive work that is collecting scattered, fractured, and hostile people and making a new humanity in the church, making a new family. 
A heavenly, eternal family with brothers and sisters from all walks of life, united by the blood of Jesus. This is not simply a people with better habits or or more self-esteem or more self-control. This is a people recreated and united in a community that is otherworldly. This tells us that one of the main ways that we can see God's redemptive work in the world is by looking at the church. The church is meant to be a showcase for the world to see the coming kingdom of God, individuals who once were defined by hostility toward God, hostility toward others, a hostility toward self, now have peace. Now have peace. Ephesians 2 is telling us that the unity of the church is one of the brightest evidences of the gospel working in humanity. God is building his church by connecting very different people and fitting them together in one body. I mean, if you think about the biblical narrative as a whole, in essence, Genesis 1 and 2 tells us that when God created us, he breathed life into us. And it gave us life. But but then the fall happened in Genesis 3. And now Ephesians 2 is telling us that when God recreates us, he inhaled the death out of us. He drew death from our lungs. Only the saving work of Jesus upon the cross can draw the death out of us. I'm going to walk through this text by simply describing two categories and asking which one fits you the most right now. Are you far off, separated, and restless? Or are you connected, stable, and growing? And and remember, the Bible is not simply something that we just read. It is a revelation of God that helps us read ourselves. So let's get started. Verse 17, it starts off and says, And he, Jesus, came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens. Like, do you see those words coming off the page? Far off, separated, and restless. You know, restless people, they need peace. Far off, separated, and restless. This says that Jesus came to proclaim an otherworldly peace to us who were far off like strangers and aliens. Those words are built upon what we covered last week, specifically in verses 12, 13, and 16. Like, look back at there with me, the words that describe what every single one of us once lived in. And some of us here today are still plagued by. Verse 12, if we back up. Remember that you were at one time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope. And without God in the world, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, separated, alienated, strangers, no hope and far off. This says that 
that the place that all humanity started off is described by those words, plagued by a loneliness, a restlessness that persists just below the surface, even in the most stable moments of our lives. And how much more when the waters of life are torrents? This is where we start. But really, we we never like fully leave it. This is the insecurity that unsettled you as a kid and still haunts you today, even in your success. This is the inner doubt that you can't quite. This is what makes you feel like an imposter, even in your strongest talents. This is the place that humanity is born into. You witness it in small children. They need assurance that they are not alone, that they are safe, that they are loved, especially in failure. This doesn't end with the arrival or the conclusion of puberty. It persists. It goes beyond junior high. It persists despite great success just under the visible surface. In ESPN's 30 for 30 about Dennis Rodman, at the end when he is on an empty stage in an empty auditorium, he says something like this. He says, I am one of the top 10 people, the most recognizable top 10 people on the planet. I should be happy, right? And then he weeps. Like you don't think he was still haunted by persisting loneliness in all of his success? A feeling of separatedness, feeling far off, wrecked with unrest. It is describing a saturating sense of loneliness and a hopelessness. It it goes on to add to this loneliness and hopelessness and a deep abiding hostility in verse 16. It says, we are hostile in our loneliness and unresting hopelessness. A deep hostility grows. We lash out when others see our weakness. We lash out when our insecurities are exposed. We make lists trying to convince ourselves why we are better than someone else. Or we just give up and give in to the mounting damning list against ourselves that is building in our soul. We grow more and more hostile. Ephesians 2 gives us one category that we all start in. Do you find any of those words in your inner being? Do those words describe you when you work, when work or class is suspended, when when the show is over, when no one is calling? This is the condition of humanity without Jesus. Without Jesus inhaling the death out of us, we are far off, separated, and restless. But Ephesians 2 doesn't stop there. There's another list that only the good news of Jesus, the message of peace can bring. Look look at verse 19. It says, so that you are no longer strangers and aliens. It's connecting back to what we covered last week. You are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows in a holy temple in the Lord. In Him, you are also being built together in a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Look at the other category. 
It says that you can be connected, stable, and growing. Like this is describing a connectedness that is not natural to what we see in life. This is describing a bedrock of certainty that nothing else can provide. This is describing a growing that is contrary to all the the brokenness that we see around us, all the disintegration. This is saying something incredible. Though the sin and selfishness that plagues humanity is at work bringing death upon death, there is a life that draws upon life and it draws people together and it is where God dwells in his church. This is describing the life-giving act of God at work in the people of God through the power of the gospel that it witnessed in the church of God. Like, look at the pictures Ephesians 2 is describing to us. This reunification of humanity. It gives us these words like citizens, families, and then a temple, the place where God dwells. Like, if you consider that order in those, those pictures, like each picture draws closer and closer together. Like, let's start, let's look at this. First, citizens. This says that we are now citizens in a new kingdom, a kingdom that is the new coming kingdom of God. In verse 19, it says, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you have, you are a fellow citizens with the saints. We were strangers and aliens separated, but now we have a kingdom that we belong to. We are a nation of fellow citizens who have the same king, fellow citizens who live in the same geographical area. I mean, if you think about that picture, like citizens live in the same area, but they might be miles apart. They have the same customs, but they might look a little bit different and sound a little bit different. They use the same language and they have some of the same responsibilities. Citizens, like think about what citizens do together. Citizens pay taxes. If you haven't paid your taxes, no worries. Because of the coronavirus, your taxes aren't due until Wednesday, July 15th. You have tons of time to procrastinate. Paying taxes is not exactly a warm and fuzzy connection, but it is a connection. We are connected. You know, citizens have similar language and customs, like signs read a certain way, so we know how to get around. We can speak to one another. Citizens defend their country together. Have you ever experienced a war buddy? I mean, I haven't, but I saw how my grandfather, Grandpa Fritz, talked about his. There was a real lasting bond there, a shared experience that compelled two people together in a special way. My grandpa, Grandpa Fritz, he had a loud and divisive opinion on just about everything. When, when we would go to visit, my mom would remind us of a list of topics to never bring up. They were political topics that caused hostility. But those topics meant nothing when he came across a war buddy. Someone who spilled the same blood in the same mud for the same ideal. Those comrades in arms, they shared a responsibility. See, citizens are connected to each other in responsibilities. There, there are so many more that we could describe, but the connection of customs, language, and responsibilities are at best connecting them in a general area. And in no way are they personally connected to the king. The king might live in the land. 
And the king might know some facts about them through a census. And the king might know a little bit, but he doesn't know their personal daily struggles. I mean, does the daily press breathing of the coronavirus describe your life accurately? It might give you some broad categories that you're experiencing, but does it make you feel seen or known? If you've lost a job, when they talk about the unemployment numbers, is it touching your soul? When they talk about isolation, does it draw you near? Like this says that we are no longer strangers and aliens, but we're connected as a nation. But it says so much more than that. We are connected as citizens in our nation, but then it says we are connected like a family. We are now brothers and sisters who have the same father. Look look at verse 19. It goes on to say, and members of the household of God, why citizens live in the same land and share the same custom and language, siblings live under the same roof. Not miles apart, but feet apart. And they share the same rooms and they have personal experiences and inside jokes. They share everything. Like my kids don't know how to knock on a door and they don't respect locked doors. They have learned that most of the privacy locks in our house will give way if you jiggle the handle fast enough. They haven't gotten the clue yet that privacy locks mean something. It means knock and wait. See, families, they develop code words and inside jokes. There's very little privacy. When you get married and enter into a new family, you have to learn these new code words and inside jokes, but you have to be careful. Like when you want to throw those same kind of inside jokes, if you weren't there to experience, you might have brother-in-laws who point out that you weren't around yet. A family is so much closer than a nation. And it's so different. See, in a family, the father isn't just in the land like a king is in the land. The father lives with the children. There is direct access, daily access, a knowing beyond the facts of a census, a knowing beyond statistics and numbers. You are a part of the family of God with direct access to God Almighty through Jesus the Son. Paul in Ephesians 2, he says, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are connected like citizens in a new nation. You are are connected like siblings in a new family. And as close as that is, the description gets even closer. It says that we are connected like bricks in a building. Like we are the temple of God, the place where God is glad to dwell. It says a temple. We are now connected like bricks in a building that the house of God, the special presence of God where God wants to dwell. Look look at verse 21. It says, a holy temple in the Lord. In him you have also are also being built together into the dwelling place for God by the spirit. Bricks in a temple exist together with no space in between them. Citizens of a nation can have miles between them. You know, siblings in a family can have feet in between them. But bricks in a building, there's no room in between them. Like, what what rattles one, one brick is felt by all the bricks. This is why our experience now, connecting on Zoom and worshiping at home with a podcast is just okay. 
Like, don't miss this. I am thankful for those connections, but it's not the same. Like, I don't want you to come out of this thinking that you can grow as a Christian just fine without the people of God. Like, the best podcast and the deepest deepest Bible study on your own will never connect you to God. Like, coming together with God's people in worship, prayer, and proclamation and communion. There is a special manifestation of God indwelling the Spirit that inhabits the praise of God's people. When we come together, the Holy Spirit inside each believer is connected in a special way. When we declare the same truths in song, God shows up in a special way. It is not just a census of information. It is more. It is not just family insider language. It is more. It is a special place that God is pleased to dwell We, the church, as citizens who share a king, children who share a father, and bricks who house God's special presence in this world, this is a special connectedness and calling. Like this is a calling that calls us to share a transparency and accountability. It is rare that people need more information to change. Most often people don't just need more information to change. They need accountability to change. Like the picture of bricks in a building where God is pleased to dwell, it tells us that we have to be known. What shakes one brick will shake all of us. It also says that we are called on a shared journey. Citizens in a nation can't continue to go every which way without a lost shared visions. And siblings in a family can't go their own way without a loss of intimacy. But bricks in a building can't go in different directions without the destruction of the building as a whole. This is describing a really close connection that we certainly fail at times. We fail to live up to it, but we are privileged to be called to. I'm reminded of C.S. Lewis's book, The Four Loves. In Lewis's book, he, he describes a special friendship that he had with two other guys, Ronald, who's J.R.R. Tolkien, and a guy named Charles. In the book, he describes that when Charles died, he thought, well, at least I'll have more of Ronald. I'll have more of Tolkien. But he soon realized that he didn't have more of Tolkien. He actually had less of him. He, he, he realized that there was a side of Tolkien that only Charles could bring out. There was a way that only Charles could make Tolkien laugh. And now that Charles was gone, that special laugh was gone with him. He goes on to say it takes a community to draw the whole of a person out. If that is true about a person, how much more true is that of God? It takes a community to draw out the full picture of Jesus. Like we need to be warned. You can't really know Jesus by yourself. You can't really know God's will for your life when you stiff arm the church. You can't really have deep wounds healed by yourself. God made you to be a people, not a person. He instructs not not people in the Bible, but he instructs churches in the Bible. Like in the midst of those imperfect people, he is pleased to dwell. And listen, I, I know 
your objections. Your objections are my objections. Right now, many of you are thinking, you're thinking, I don't feel connected like this. I still feel lonely. I still feel separated and full of unrest. Some things have gotten better, but some still long with hurt, resentment, and pain. I am terrified that one day the credits of my life might end like the credits did on Dennis Rodman's show on a stage alone in tears. And if that is you, I want you to be encouraged. Jesus is not done. Jesus is still building. If you are not in the household of God, if you are not a part of his kingdom, if you are not in a church, there is still time. He is still building. Look at verse 22. It says, in him, Jesus, in Jesus, you, the church, in Jesus, the church, also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Being built means there is more time for you to get in. If the first category of far off, separated, and restless is securely you, the church is still being built. The gospel is still for you to respond. There is still time to draw near by the blood of Jesus. The Bible is so clear to say the only requirement to get into the kingdom of God is to repent of your sins, your inner selfishness. You're trying to do it all on your own and to declare that Jesus is who he says he is. God made man who died for your sins. God's church is still being built. There is still time. But being built also means you are not fully done yet. It means that God is still at work in you to change you. There are still strongholds of belief that make you feel far off, that make you feel separated, that make you restless. If you have surrendered your life to Jesus, you can still feel those things. See, the reality, there are enemy encampments in your heart that have not fully yielded to the movement of the sanctification in your life. There are places you still trust what you used to believe. There are strongholds of satanic lies that the Spirit of God is moving against. You can still be justified before God. That means you can still be saved by Jesus and struggle with the first list. But you mustn't make peace with that list. You mustn't live as a son or daughter of the king and reside yourself to a loneliness and isolation and a restless heart. There is so much more for you in the family of God and in the temple of God. God's church is being built. Being built. It's also not an individual endeavor. In verse 22, it says being built like Ephesians 2 is describing a radical interdependence that I pray you are feeling in some way right now. God came to make separated, lonely, far off and hostile individuals into an interconnected people. So much so that in verse 16, he describes the church as being one person in Jesus. Look back at verse 16. It says that he, Jesus, might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. All the translators struggle with that, of like several people becoming like one new man, one new humanity, one new person, no division. But the mystery of this is even greater than just being a building process that's still going. 
Like, look at verse 21. You know, in verse 21, it says, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple into the Lord. The, the, the verbs here are organic in nature. It is such a process in motion that the verbs don't even fit the building analogy. They fit an organic analogy. Buildings don't grow. Vines and trees grow. These verbs depict the growing of a vine more than the building of a building. It's not something you can even build. It's not just adding the next logical step to your life. It it, it is something that if you stay in and trust the Lord, He will organically grow this new nature into your life. You just have to stay connected. You have to stay in. You have to submit yourself like, like bricks into something of a greater whole. A vine grows because of the inside molecular coating that it shares throughout. An apple tree produces apples because of the molecular coating inside every part of the apple tree. In a similar way, the life of the church is growing because of the same shared DNA. Jesus' spirit is giving life and direction to individuals to shape the whole. How is this happening? How can I participate it with so much that's happening around? How can I be more and more in it? Ephesians 2 doesn't leave you without direction. It tells us to work with two foundations, the Bible and the gospel. First, it says that you are being transformed as you look deeper into the gospel. It is the gospel that transforms you. Look at verse 20. Toward the end of verse 20, it says, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. That's code word for for the gospel, for being the foundation, for being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure is being joined together and grows. The cornerstone is the foundation of the whole building. It is what shapes the individual bricks, and it is what sets the parameter of the building. You have to start with Jesus. Remember, verse 17 says that Jesus came to preach peace to those who are far off and to peace to those who are near. There is a near lostness that puts on morality and religious activity, but misses Jesus. You have to start with Jesus. We are transformed by the gospel, by the message, what Jesus came and did, that he rose again and now he offers it to those that if we just lay down our sin and our pride and we receive what Jesus has for us and we make him Savior and Lord, you have to start with the cornerstone. You have to start with Jesus. We are transformed by the gospel. We are also transformed by by the Bible. Verse 20 at the beginning, it says, it says, this is built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. For, For simplicity's sake, I think that means both the New Testament and the Old Testament, like Bible reading, seeking the promises that are mine because of what Jesus has done that are displayed in the scriptures, that it displaces the lies that exist in my heart. We need to hear, read, study, memorize, and meditate on those promises. It is like organic fertilizer that causes an organic chain reaction that the Bible calls repentance. It calls faith. It brings hope. 
I am transformed because the gospel, the central message of the Bible says that I am accepted because of what Jesus did. Jesus was rejected so I could be accepted. Verse 20, it says that Jesus himself is the cornerstone. This language is so important because of all that came before Ephesians 2. Isaiah prophesied in Isaiah 28 verse 16, way back in the Old Testament, he prophesied this, Behold, I am the one who has laid a foundation in Zion, a stone, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone for the sure foundation. Whoever believes will not be in haste. Isaiah looked ahead and he saw a precious cornerstone that the foundation of the church would be built upon. And he says, this foundation is precious. It is tested. It is sure. And if you believe in it, it says you won't be in haste. You will be restless no longer. You know, the Psalms, this also picks this up in Psalms 118 verse 22. It says, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Matthew records this in Jesus' words that he laid claim to it in Matthew 21, verse 42. And he said to them, you have never read the scriptures. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in your eyes. Jesus said, I am the foundation for all of this. I have come to take a people who are separated who are far off. I have come to find a people who are hostile in nation, hostile against God, hostile against one another, hostile against themselves. I have come to bring a fractured people and I will put them together in a place that I long to dwell. How do I escape the fearful separation, hostility that I feel? I start with Jesus. Ephesians 2, it gives us two categories. Which category do you see in your life? Pray with me. Jesus, you are the foundation of our life. Jesus, you are the cornerstone of our life. And wherever we find ourselves now, there is still a sense of separation. There is still a loneliness. There is still something residing, a hostility of self, a hostility toward others, a hostility to God. But you came to put all of that to death. And you have given us guides and together as the church, like we can be together and we can help shape one another. And through the reading of the scriptures and applying them to our lives, we can change and you are pleased to dwell with us. Lord, this reality is is grand. Lord, I pray that even in isolation or even in separation or even in fear, that we would feel more of that. Send us to the scriptures. Let us find the precious promises of what God has done for us. Send us there. In Jesus' name, amen. Free City Church, I love you more than you know, and I eagerly anticipate that coming Sunday morning when we will gather together again and praise Jesus with our collective voices. Even now, Jesus is good. 
Even now, and maybe especially now, the church is alive and at work because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Free City, we exist to extend the glory of God by making disciples through the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'll see you soon.